0: Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff & Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tulloch. Welcome to the Staff & Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel. Ian, how you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm doing better than you. Apparently, you have a, a car story to tell us. You sent me a picture on, on your phone and... I had a lot of questions, but I figured it'd be better to just ask him on the podcast here. So so go ahead. Tell us what the heck just happened.
0: Yeah. So we played, um, what was it, Thursday in Waterloo. And me and my good friend, who's an assistant coach on the team, we uh, drove out there in his car and we drove back together. And I pulled up at the parking lot and I went to unlock my door. And I was like, oh, this is weird. My lock's been drilled. So I opened the door and like my steering wheel is missing. <laughs>
1: Someone stole your steering wheel?
0: (laughs) And this is 11.30 at night. Like, this is not 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Who steals a steering wheel? (laughs) There you go. So they basically cut out the entire, like, middle of my steering wheel. So all of the electrical wiring that's in my brand new vehicle. Did they steal your airbag? Is that what they were going for? (laughs) Yeah, but they stole, like, all of the electrical components of it, too. So now the car literally doesn't turn on. Like,
1: it's totally screwed. So I guess you Ubered home then or something, um, right?
0: So we called the police, called the tow truck, got the car towed. And then, yeah, I ended up going home, but I didn't end up getting home until, like, two thir- or one thirty in the morning.
1: Well, clearly you have to lock your steering wheel next time.
0: They It would literally not have mattered. They drilled, like... They literally drilled my door. <laughs> like, it was unbelievable. And and the best part about it was the guy drops me off and drives away. And I I realize this. I call him back. I go, you have to come back. And he's like, why? I go, someone stole my steering wheel. And he goes, what? I'm like, yeah. Like I am not even kidding. So it's he like the comes back.
1: Story I've ever heard. He
0: comes back and. We both look at this thing and we just die laughing in the parking lot. Like we are howling at this point. I have no idea why we think it's so funny, but we do. And so now we're sitting there. We're like Uber eating McDonald's because we're both starving.
1: Of course, McDonald's.
0: And then tis, tis. what's crazy is so this was Thursday night. Saturday morning, we get an email from the school saying that there was a carjacking at gunpoint basically 200 meters from where my car was parked the next night. So like, Thursday night, a steering wheel gets taken. Friday night, there's a carjacking at gunpoint. And so there's a lot going on in that area of Toronto right now. But yeah, so I am without a car right now. And uh, probably will be with for the next little while. So we have to kind of figure that out.
1: See, I make fun of you for suffering all these little injuries throughout the, the course of like, you know, whether it's a week or a month. I'm like, all right, what's up with you this week? You finally have a clean bill of health for a week yeah. and your car suffers a steering wheel injury. <laughs> like, and You're going to be out for the remainder of the season. This is just brutal.
0: It will be out. Probably It the car will probably get retired. Like it is. I have never seen that before. I honestly, like, I had cash in my car and, like, a bunch of expensive textbooks and, like, a $350 hockey stick. Like, I had valuables in my car. I actually had, like, a a bracelet that is not cheap sitting in my console because I forgot to put it on. Untouched. Like, didn't even look in the console. My sunglasses were in there. Totally untouched. They literally just cut out my steering wheel and left.
1: Well... (laughs) You're going to need to trade in for some parts. This feels like a, a good deadline acquisition. So let, let's pivot here and talk about the, the main topic du jour. Trade deadline's coming up in a few weeks. I know that this is probably going to be one of the more boring trade deadlines of the last few years. I was looking at some of the top names on the TSN uh, trade bait list, and then I was reading some of Pierre LeBrun stuff. There are no great players available. There's no like A plus name available. Let They're me just Chris read you Kreider. the list.
0: Yeah, Chris Kreider, Alec Martinez, Pajot, Vatnan, maybe Dumba, Georgiev, maybe Kovalchuk, Brendan Dillon, Tyler Toffoli, Shane Gostisbear, Alex Alchenyuk,
1: and a guy who's not even playing in North America right now, Jesse Puyayarby. Like hey, Carolina's first round pick is in the top ten. Of uh, trade bait. Like I'm going to be in
0: Florida for the trade deadline just on vacation. And I'm not even concerned about missing the deadline because nothing is going to happen.
1: So on that note, let's talk about the deadline. Why do you think it's quieter this year than it's been in years past? Is it just luck of the draw that there aren't too many good pending UFAs or teams not looking to trade for rentals as much as they have been in the past? I don't know. It's just It seems much quieter this year than it's been in years past. I
0: think there's a couple things. So, one, the teams, there's not a lot of bona fide sellers because not a lot of teams are out of it, right? Detroit's out of it. LA's out of it. Ottawa's out of it. But, like, there's not a lot of bona fide sellers. And in the same token, there's not a lot of bona fide buyers. Like, no one's really separated themselves, with the exception of St. Louis, as being able to make a deep cup run, And so, for me, you're not going to go and risk all of these futures if you're not really sure where you are. And that's because the standings are so close. And that's, we've talked about the point system on this podcast, and we both hate it. Um, I think that's part and parcel of it. And then you don't really have a ton of pending UFAs that are of massive interest.
1: I'm looking at some of the teams that are in the basement. You obviously have, you know, Detroit, Ottawa, you have the Devils. You have L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose. All of California is just really bad this year. Remember
0: when they but, used to be really good? It used to be like the death trip, and now they're just yeah. horrendous.
1: It was brutal for a couple of reasons. You had to stay up till past midnight watching hockey, and you had to watch your team just get clobbered, and maybe they'd pick up a point or two. But now it's just an easy, you know, four five, six points if you head out west to, to California, but... I think you bring up a good point with the Pacific division being so bad this year, teams like Arizona who would normally be out of it with 59 points. All of a sudden they're right in the thick of the, the playoff race just because the Pacific isn't very good. You have the Metro is extremely tough this year. So I guess teams like Philadelphia, even though they're right on the cusp there, same with Carolina, the Islanders, how much are you willing to buy at the deadline to put yourself over the top I guess that's the question we have to ask ourselves. For teams that are on the cusp of making the playoffs, are are we expecting them to make a big trade or are we expecting teams like, let's say, the Florida Panthers to make a big acquisition? Are we expecting a team like the Dallas Stars to buy Florida's right acquisition
0: needs to be Bobrovsky actually showing up. That's what their acquisition needs to be. Their goaltender legitimately horrible for the beginning of the year. He's been better of late, if I recall, but they need him to actually be... A nine twenty nine twenty five goaltender to have any type of sustained success because they are so thin on the back end.
1: So you're working for a team. You've done this before working for the New Jersey Devils. So you're working for a team. The deadline's coming up. What are you doing over these next couple of weeks? What have you been doing over the last couple of weeks? And and what kind of questions do coaches and management have for you when you're looking at acquiring whether it's a defenseman or a forward? What kind of discussions are being had behind the scenes right now?
0: Okay, so the first thing is what you're not doing is you're not sleeping. Um, You get no rest basically in the month leading up to the deadline. Um, So you have your Pro Scout meetings, you have your Amateur Scout meetings, they basically happen at the same time, and they happen in middle to late January. So now those are done, and basically what happens at those meetings is you, all the Pro Scouts come in, and each Pro Scout has a bunch of teams they watch, and they file reports and they discuss and they run down the players and their ratings and so they discuss who they like uh who might be available um and it all kind of depends so if the team that you work for is either a seller or a buyer then it's who are we willing to sell off and potentially who do we want in return for them and if you're a buyer it's who might be available and who do we think would fit what we need and what um our team dynamic is. So there's, there's kind of a lot going on. You're rating players. You're having discussions about players. And then once you kind of have a list of targets that you think a either are available and B you want them um, then you do your research. So that's when people like the analytics department, if you have one get brought in Um, people who used to play with potential targets, coaching staff, um, scouts go out and watch these players play more uh, so they can kind of get a feel of of really what they'd be getting. And you try and basically find out everything you can about the player. You almost put a profile together.
1: Can I make a quick nitpick here? And this has always bothered me. Whenever there's a lot of rumors coming down the last week or two before a potential big trade, you'll see that, oh, there's a lot of scouts from Anaheim in Toronto tonight. They must be scouting player X. Haven't we seen that player play for over 100 games, sometimes over 200 games? We have it all on tape. Is there really anything to be gained from one more live viewing of that player? Just because I feel like it's a bit ridiculous how much stock people put in these small samples of player evaluation.
0: See, I think it's more teams, the smart teams look at it from, let's get as many viewings as we can. So we already have a bunch. Let's get as many more as possible because you could have one scout who has a bias, let's say, and doesn't like the player, but then you send one or two more scouts to watch them play a few games. And it's like, well, maybe that bias is there because you've been watching them for the past three years so what are we just making sure that you're not missing something because the reality is is each team has four to five pro scouts and there's 31 teams in the league and you don't scout your own damn team that would be useless um and so each scout basically has five or six teams that they watch and they're only responsible for those teams So it's basically leading up to the trade deadline. You're getting another set of eyes on it to make sure either what you're saying is true. So basically to confirm or to say, hey, this is my perspective on it. So it kind of brings a different set of eyes to it that hasn't necessarily been watching.
1: Now, that's the teams who are looking to buy an NHL player to add to their roster yes. to make a legitimate playoff push and hopefully a contending run. If you're on the other side of the spectrum, let's say the LA Kings, they're thinking of selling off Tyler Toffoli. They're thinking of selling off Alec Martinez. They want to bring in presumably futures, younger players who are either on the precipice of being an NHL player, you know, currently in the AHL. Like Carl or maybe they're o- Yeah, or maybe they're overseas. Maybe they're in Europe right now. Maybe they're in junior. So... How much scouting goes into those players? Because this is the tricky part. You usually aren't scouting players on other teams. And, you know, if someone's a top 10 player in their prospect pool, you're usually not paying super close attention to those players because you're probably not going to get a chance to trade for them. But now you're getting that chance to trade for them. So how much kind of last-minute rushing is going in to figuring out, okay, who are the top prospects for this team? Who are the top prospects for this team? Who are really interested in? Who are they, you know, who's on their do-not-trade list? Who are they willing to part with? Honestly... Because I feel like that's a big part of what goes into this. Not
0: a lot, because... So I mentioned that each scout has, like, five to six NHL teams. Each scout also has an allotted amount of AHL teams. And they're going... So I used to do the pro scouting schedules for the pro scouts in New Jersey. So I saw who was seeing what games, who had what teams and where they were. These guys see probably two to three AHL games a week on top of the NHL games. And then you rely on your European scouts or your amateur scouts to deal with the prospects. But it's not a rush to say, oh, we got to go see this prospect we might be interested in. Um, I guarantee you so. When New Jersey traded Hall. Um, and they got Kevin Ball back in return, who was playing in Ottawa. I guarantee you they've seen that guy play a bunch of times. A, New Jersey already had three prospects playing for the 67s, which is where Kevin Ball plays. So they're watching their own prospects. And now they've seen this guy. So he stands out. Um, so you're kind of... He stands
1: out because he's six. Foot six.
0: Yeah. And I don't so, know about
1: his hockey playing ability, but that's uh, another conversation for another Yeah, guy. I'm not going to comment
0: on that. Um... So it's one of those things where all you have to do is go into this rink net, which is an ancient, ancient software that gets used by hockey teams. Um, and you look at all of the reports that have been filed over the past two years. Um, and then you likely send a development coach to get a set of eyes on it. What is this player missing? What is their potential? All of that kind of stuff. So you have the bulk of your homework done before any of this has happened. And then basically in the lead up... Um, you're just trying to get as many eyeballs on there as possible just to make sure you haven't missed anything.
1: So, again, let's stick with sellers right now just because I find it interesting. I know as a Leafs fan, my team has often been a seller throughout the the last decade or two, and it's weird for me watching this team contend, or, or quote-unquote contend, contend for the playoffs, let's say. It's weird to
0: watch up- this team be acceptably performing.
1: Before they lose in seven to the Bruins, you know, because we all know that. It's going to be Tampa this year. The storybook ends. Okay, nice. Losing seven to Tampa. I'll take <laughs> it. But for, for teams that are selling, I guess you're looking for the best return possible. How much emphasis should you be putting on position? Of need, for example, if you're the New Jersey Devils and you have your two star forwards of the future already, is it crucial that you bring in that defenseman, or do you just take best prospect available? What are some of the discussions behind the scenes when it comes to that aspect of things?
0: Um, it's very similar to NHL players. Um, it's who, what are our team needs? Uh, where are we thin? Where are we, where do we have an abundance? Um, what do we need to fill out? To me, I would always like to say you get the best package you can, as opposed to maybe filling a need. But I, a lot of teams, when they talk about training somebody of that caliber, it gets... Uh, lost and so teams and inevitably they end up trading for position so I um, mean New Jersey's the case right now because they traded Hull but they traded Kevin Ball are you telling me they there was no other prospect out there I mean Calgary was rumored to be in it Colorado was rumored to be in it to me the way I look at it is you need to get the best prospect or the best assets available to you, because at the end of the day, they're just assets. You can use them to acquire better players or or what have you, but you can't just say, oh, we need our right-handed defenseman, and so I have to go acquire the best right-handed defenseman I could find when that guy might be the fifth or sixth best player that you can acquire with a player. Ironically, that that was the
1: problem with the uh, original Taylor Hall trade, you know, is that you just acquired the best right-handed defenseman you could get. You didn't worry about whether or not the trade was fair value.
0: Exactly. And so that's kind of one of those things where I I think a lot of teams get pigeonholed into saying, well, we need this. We need a right-handed defenseman. We need a defenseman who can play 20 minutes a night, as opposed to maybe a defenseman that isn't necessarily playing 20 minutes a night now, but could in the future. So it's kind of one of those things where a lot of teams get very uh, myopic with it. And I think that's just a hockey way of thinking. Um, There's definitely some open-minded people and there's definitely some not open-minded people.
1: (laughs) I think that comes in every walk of life, unfortunately. Yes. So let's go player by player here. Some of the big names on the list, quote-unquote big names, at least this year. And let's think of some possible destinations. I know with Chris Kreider... I am kind of of the belief that I'll believe it when I see it because we, we've been told that this guy's been on the trade block for the last couple of years and New Jersey just, or sorry, the Rangers don't seem willing to trade him. I'm not sure well, if this now year might is be finally hurt. the year. Yeah, I know, and that's going to complicate things. But let's say for fun that Chris Kreider gets moved either at the deadline or before the deadline, who are the top two or three teams that you think will be vying for his services just because he's such an interesting player in his combination of kind of size, speed, power. He reminds me of like an NFL pass rusher, just of how much of a freak athlete he is. Skill-wise, it's never been up there with his true athletic ability, but he seems like someone who, on a team with an elite four-check who just gets in the offensive zone and plays heavy hockey, I feel like he could be such a contributing factor in the playoffs.
0: So for me, one of the things I look at and I looked at while I was in New Jersey, now I had been doing this long before then, um, if we bring player X in, so in this case Chris Kreider, where would Chris Kreider rank? in our performance indicators. So if you're a team, you have, let's say you have like eight key performance indicators, you have to figure out, you pull the stats, the various stats, and you have to figure out where Chris Kreider ranks among the forwards you currently have so you kind of can figure out where he would go in the lineup. Um, He's
1: going in your top six, presumably, right? Presumably.
0: So like I could see him being a fit in St. Louis. Um, Oh, oh,
1: that would be so fun to watch him play. I I could see him being a
0: fit in Calgary.
1: This is terrifying, but I could see him being a fit in Boston.
0: I, oh my God. Um, I could also see him being a fit playing shotgun with McDavid because he is at least a quick skater so he can keep up. And the reality is, uh, he is a better player than Zach Cassian is, and he still brings that element of "I am big, I am tough, I will go." To I've the been net.
1: told by many people in the Edmonton media that the Zach Cassian contract is actually good, and that we should stop complaining about it because he's produced what thirteen goals this year.
0: <laughs> yes, and therefore should be signed to a four-year contract extension.
1: Because playing with Connor McDavid has nothing to do with how many goals you put on.
0: Like, how right? much money did Crosby make Dupuy and Kunitz? Uh, Crosby got Kunitz on the Canadian Olympic team. That is hey, power. that is
1: goal scorer in the gold medal game. Chris Kunitz. Chris Kunitz, all right? Okay,
0: but I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at a, a team like Edmonton, you have a guy who skates as well as Chris Kreider does, who goes to the net, who actually has, let he's not the most skilled guy, but let's both agree that he's more skilled than Zach Kassian is. And he, I think he would be a fit there. But I think his best fit is, in terms of the style of play, St. Louis.
1: All right. Who would you say is number two on the board after Kreider this year in terms of maybe name value on top of what you're actually getting on the ice? Probably Peugeot. That's what I was thinking, too, because I don't think Pajot has like you know the, the sexy name value like a Chris Kreider or Ilya Kovalchuk has, but if you look at what Pajot has done over the last couple seasons, he's been one of the most underrated defensive players in hockey. There's an argument to me that he should be getting some legitimate Selkie consideration. Agreed. And Agreed. Yep. He has 20 goals in 50 games this year. The Senators have been weirdly competitive, and it's because of breakout seasons from guys like Pajot and Duclair. I'm really happy for Pajot. I've always liked him as a player. I always saw him as more of a third-line player, but seeing him in these shutdown matchups for Ottawa, he can take some of the heavier minutes. So if you're a team with a legitimate top six and you want like a checking third-line center that you can throw out there in some more defensive situations, I feel like Pajot would be absolutely perfect to help put you over the top. So like Edmonton? What are you really looking at? <laughs> Edmonton could use a lot. I feel like we could bring up Edmonton. Anytime you need a forward, just throw Edmonton's name in there. I but... think
0: he would really... Um benefit in boston um just because you never you patrice bergeron obviously is at the top that guy is one of the most premier centers still in the league um but then you kind of have like that weird david Krejci. he's kind of injured maybe he's not and i think having pajot there gives you two legitimate centers in bergeron and pajot where a they could both provide offense and b they could both shut t- shut the other team's players down
1: See, Charlie Coyle down the middle, I feel like if you trust Bergeron Krejci-Coyle as your center group, then you might convince yourself that you don't necessarily need an additional winger, but we've seen Charlie Coyle play on the wing as well. So. Exactly. He a- was there for the longest for them. time. Honestly, Pajot's such a good 200-foot player. I feel like he would fit in wherever he was traded. They'd find a way to use him. You'd find a way to get him some minutes. You could throw him on the penalty kill. You could throw him on the second-unit power play. Yeah, Give him some tough shifts if he wants them. If you want to shelter him a bit more, he'll do well in that role, too. But honestly, I think the best way to, to get the use out of uh, Pajot is to just give him some tough minutes to free up your more dynamic offensive players. And now they're going out against second and third lines. You're going to score a lot more goals. I really like Pajot. He's a really underrated player, I think.
0: Agreed. I th- I also think that he, um, defensively has been underappreciated for a while. In the same way that Sean Couturier somehow is underappreciated defensively. Every time people talk about the best defensive players in the game, he's always like the fifth guy they mention, as opposed to like the first or second.
1: But at least they're bringing him up now, and they never right. used to. Which so I'm glad I mean, about that.
0: Exactly. Uh, as far as defensemen though, there's three or four. Alec Martinez has a year left on his contract after this one. But then you've got Vatnin and Matt Dumba, who are kind of like in their echelon. And then below that, you've got Brendan Dillon and Shane bear Now, I'm not convinced that Bear is going to be moved. I am relatively convinced that Vatnin is going to get moved.
1: Okay, so Vatnin, it's hard because there, there are a bit of apples and oranges here on, blue, on the blue line because there are some people who are – a UFA at the end of this year. Like, Sammy Vatnan is going to be a rental. Brendan Dillon is going to be a rental. Uh, Is DeMello a rental? I think DeMello would be a rental if he got traded as well. So those are the defensemen who would be rentals. Alec Martinez has this year and then one more on his uh, contract. Josh Manson has this year and then two more on his contract. Matt Dumba has this year and then three more on his contract. I would be
0: shocked if Anaheim traded Josh Manson. Like, I legitimately would be.
1: See, the Leafs fan of me has already traded Casper Kapanen for him in a package, so that's just uh, fantasy land for me. I hope it happens. Uh, I mean, when Casper Kapanen was healthy scratched, the number of rumors that went out there about whether or not this was a trade, and, oh, let's check Minnesota to see if Matt Dumba's scratched, let's check Anaheim to see if Josh Manson's scratched, nope. This is just, uh... Listen, if
0: I'm trading Kapanen, I mean... Uh, first of all, that's not even Toronto's biggest problem They need a, a goaltender to go behind Freddie Anderson
1: okay. Oh, I, th- I thought you meant they need a goaltender I, I, I was going to say, Frederick Anderson's a <laughs> No, 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 get they need there. someone to yeah. help him
0: Um, And don't get me wrong, Michael Hutchinson's been good lately But when you have Alex Georgiev sitting there Like, that's a significant upgrade
1: Okay, let's talk about the goaltending trade market because... And then we'll
0: talk about the defenseman
1: <laughs> Yeah, okay, just real quick here there are no other goalies on the market in terms of guys that are legitimately available. You could say Robin Leonard, hey, what if he gets traded? I'm not sure if it happens. That asking price is ago. going to be very high, though, for him. And honestly, it just it feels like he's got a good thing going here unless Chicago gets a really good offer. And frankly, they should i always wondered why the goaltending market is never stronger because there are so many teams who are strong at 5-on-5 five five but don't have the goaltending. And I always wonder, man, why didn't San Jose make a big trade for a goalie last year? That's what plagued them in the playoffs. They come into the season with the same two goaltenders and they're still having problems in net, shockingly. But <laughs> this has been the problem with a lot of teams. It's that, well, if, you're, if there's no market for a goaltender, then the team who's trying to sell a goaltender, there's nothing really out there. And that's kind of the concern I think that Jer- uh, the Rangers are having is that they have this decent asset and a 23-year-old goaltender in Georgiev who can play at the NHL level, might have some starter upside, but is definitely a strong backup. But what can you get for him when everyone and their mother knows that you're looking to trade this guy because you have King Henrik, who you're not going to trade. You, you want him to retire as a Ranger, presumably. And then you also have this really young guy in... How do you pronounce his name? Jorkin I knew I was going to botch it, but he's been excellent for them. <laughs> you I mean, he's wouldn't kind even of the, be
0: the only person to botch it.
1: <laughs> but he's the younger goalie with the higher upside. So the Rangers are thinking, okay, we want to keep him. If we're going to move someone, we're going to move Georgiev. What does he go for? If he's traded over the next month, what kind of package or what kind of asset and return are they looking for? Because let's face it, the Rangers aren't making the playoffs this year. So I got to think they're looking towards the next year or two. What does this trade look like?
0: Okay. So I wrote something about this and um, I was actually part of uh, a goalie, maybe search or goalie research mission um, while I was in the NHL. And honestly, Everyone's saying, oh, like, as it pertains to the Leafs, it's going to cost and or Janssen. Uh, Guys, goalies do not go for the same thing that defensemen go for. So if you're giving up a player off your roster for a team that's clearly stuck in an odd position in terms of their number of goaltenders, like, you've got them in a hard place. Why would you be giving up a player on your second or third line you wouldn't. So to me it's probably a prospect and a pick for Georgiev as a or a maybe a Pierre Angval type of player or um, shockingly
1: you're bringing up Leafs players.
0: <laughs> well, it's just like off the top I'm like you're not going to take a player. Boston's not going to trade Charlie Coyle, let's say. They're not going to trade like uh Colorado isn't going to trade Tyson Jost for uh Georgiev It's just the goaltending market, goaltenders are voodoo. This isn't news. Um and it's just it's not as high and when you have the Rangers in the position that they're in, why would you? That's terrible negotiating. So for me, like I would be surprised if that happened now. There are teams that have a surplus either at forward or at D and maybe they can afford to give up a player off their roster or what have you, but the, there's no way the Rangers can expect that that's what they're going to get because everyone knows that they're up against it. So for me, I mean, if you can avoid giving up a roster player,
1: I, I would. I'm trying to think back to when Martin Jones or Bernier were traded out of L.A. Grogiev uh, has 66 games under his belt, so he's not you know, a nothing at the NHL level. Well, there Freddie Anderson
0: had a little bit more and
1: he was traded. 125. 125.
0: Right. So he had uh, almost double. And he was traded for a first and maybe something else. Um, so you're not getting an NHL roster player. And that's Freddie Anderson. That's 125 games played with a Jennings trophy. Like, that's a better quality goaltender at the time of trade than Georgiev. And so this expectation of it's going to cost a roster player, I just think, is is way out of proportion.
1: I think it makes more sense to trade him in the off season because I think you'd get more suitors then.
0: Agreed. Because but, then you'd have teams that had goalies that were leaving, like let's say Chicago, for example. I think not even just Leonard, it might be Crawford. Um as well. I wanna say I read something about that. What if they lose the goal a goaltender or two? Then maybe they go after Georgiev. Right? He's young, he's cost controlled and Chicago has cap issues, that's no secret. So Maybe that's a suitor and and so waiting till the off season probably is the best decision in terms of number of suitors. I just don't know if they're going to want to wait that long
1: and bringing this back to the defenseman, I think the defense with multiple years of term, I think we might see a similar thing with a Matt Dumbo or with a Josh Manson. If you're going to trade that player. Wouldn't it make more sense to wait until the summer when you have more offers, potentially, especially at the draft, when everyone has cap space? Whereas right now, if you're looking to acquire a Matt Dumba, well, he's making six million dollars for the next this season, three more after that. If you can't afford him right now, but in the offseason, if all of a sudden, you know, you had a bunch of cap space. Yeah, we'll bring him in and then we'll figure out the rest afterwards. I think there'd be a bigger market for him. So that's why I'm worried about whenever I hear about players with multiple years of term being potentially traded at the deadline, we don't see it very often. And that, there's a reason for that because it's a, it, there's less of a market for that player to be traded. So you really have to be wowed with an offer. We're hearing whispers around Dumba. We're hearing some things around Manson. But I think we're hearing a lot more about the Alec Martinez's of the world and the Brendan Dillons. Shane Gostisbeer the... even. Shane Gostisbeer is an interesting one. I haven't heard as much about him. Do you think he gets moved this year? uh knowing chuck fletcher no <laughs> um
0: i think that if the right offer comes that's that's a bit of a different story but the reality is um i don't have his numbers off the top of my head he's not been the same as he was a few years ago so he's definitely fallen off and i just don't think his value is as high that as um people think it is let's say like you're not getting a top 2 defenseman
1: I don't know why anyone would assume that would be what you'd get for him. It just no, no, no. That's what I mean. What I mean argu- is like
0: if you're getting Goss despair, he's not a top two defenseman, right? It, yeah, he, he needs to
1: be sheltered. Exactly, he, he does. He's, he's an not incredible offensive player, but he really struggles defensively. You yeah. see this with whatever coach gets him. They think, okay, this talented player. Let's give him more minutes. Oh, that's what happens when we play you higher up in the lineup. Maybe we'll shelter you a bit more and you can dominate in secondary matchups. Right, And and he's
0: one of those players where if he's not on the power play and he's not playing in an offensive role, very much like Tyson Berry, actually, um, you're not going to get the performance that you want out of him because he's not built to play defensive hockey.
1: Can I say that Matt Dumba is a very similar player? And I've seen a lot of people show videos of him hitting people and say, oh, yeah, this is what you need. I think Matt Dumba is sneaking into that overrated conversation because of all the goals he scored over the last few years. He's not scoring them this year, but he's never been a play driver. He's never been someone who, when he's on the ice, you're going to outshoot and outchance the opposition. He has a great shot, and it, it hasn't been beating goaltenders this year. But I'm concerned if I'm a team looking to trade for a big defenseman, and Matt Dumba is the name that keeps coming up. And I'm a Leafs fan, and I've seen it, and it concerns me because. Seeing what Tyson Berry's been in Toronto has been a bit concerning to me because even though he's putting up the numbers, I feel like they're not getting the on-ice value that they would have liked for a player with that kind of name brand. And with Matt Dumba, I'd be worried about a team thinking the same thing, thinking that they're getting this top-pairing quality defenseman when really he's more of a three or four.
0: So, like, if Edmonton acquires him and throws them, throws him on their top-pairing,
1: And just like (laughs) lots of hard match minutes and you expect him to do everything. And I'm just not sure if that's what he is as a player. And if you put him on on a second pairing with someone who's a bit better defensively, yeah, I think that Matt Dumba can thrive. But if you expect Matt Dumba to be this first pairing, top pairing quality guy, which let's face it, that's what he's being paid to do at $6 million. I don't think he's that good, frankly. Maybe I'm lower on Matt Dumba than most people, but I'd make the argument that he's pretty overrated around the league.
0: Okay, so what about Galchenyuk? Because he's asked for a trade. and He's been a
1: disaster this year.
0: Yeah, it hasn't been very good. Um, do, he, I'm assuming he gets moved, but realistically, what is it, a fifth-round pick at this point?
1: Basically. I mean, he, his contract's upped after this year. It hasn't gone well in Pittsburgh. The reason that they'd be trading him is, frankly, they don't want to play him. They'd probably rather have someone else take those minutes. He's a weird player because I always believed in his talent. In Montreal, I said, hey, he's better at center. Play him at center. He went to Arizona. They played him at center, and that line really struggled defensively. He's very much uh, an offense-only player, and if he's not succeeding for you on the power play and he's not scoring goals, he's not going to be giving you a a bunch of value when your team doesn't have the puck. So it isn't working in Pittsburgh. Maybe you send him to another city and it ends up working there, but... I don't know, who, who wants to take a chance on Galchenyuk for a low-round pick?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing, is there's salary associated with it. So there's not a whole lot of teams that are contenders that where Galchenyuk would be able to play lower in the lineup that have that cap space, that wouldn't have to send money back. Right? And so I think that... I think he'll end up getting moved, um, but I like... Give me an
1: example of a team where you're thinking might take a chance on Galchenyuk.
0: Um, I could see maybe Colorado.
1: Ooh, I could see
0: that. Um, maybe, I mean, realistically, I'd love to see him play in Edmonton's top six, but I just don't think that they have the cap space nor the interest. Um, maybe Vancouver. Vancouver.
1: I don't know. I'm looking around the league, too, and I'm just not seeing a lot of teams where I go, yeah, they're an Alex Galchenyuk away. and maybe (laughs) I think if you're an Alex Galchenyuk
0: (laughs) away, there's a bunch of other issues we need to resolve first.
1: You might have a few more problems, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking teams who see upside in him and say, okay, if we get him in the right structure and the right system, we can make this work. But then again, I feel like we've been saying that about him for the last couple of years at this point. So, fun
0: story, He that set assistant coach that I mentioned in the car story is actually one of his really close friends, and they played on a line together in Sarnia, in the OHL. And I was asking him what he thinks is the problem with Galchenyuk and sort of when Galchenyuk has the most success. And he brought up the fact that Galchenyuk has his most success when he plays with someone who's predictable. Like, he knows where he's going to be all the time. He's positionally sound and just very straight line and simple.
1: He needs that very, that like, Zach Hyman kind of player who's just going to do all the other works so that he can be, like, the yes, speedy skill guy exactly. with the Exactly.
0: And so that was kind of interesting because it's a different perspective from someone who's actually played with him um, when he was having success because he was very good in Sarnia. Um, and so that's kind of interesting because if that's what he needs, then maybe um, you find a team that has that caliber player on the wing and you you try him back in the middle.
1: So, speaking of goal scorers who are having a bit of a down year, but you know there's more talent there, let's talk about Tyler Toffoli, because I think if he gets traded, I think there's a chance that he is the most productive player of all the guys that we've been talking about so far. If
0: he gets traded to Montreal, look out.
1: I'm thinking back when Nino Niederreiter was traded to Carolina and he scored at a 30-goal pace the rest of the way. Tyler Toffoli has that in him. We we know how many goals Tyler Toffoli can score when he's at his best. That LA Kings team hasn't been trying for a few years now, it feels like. It's just kind of really sad to watch their games. They have some nice young talent. You know, I like watching Adrian Kempe. I like what they got. A a few pieces on the blue line there. Sean Walker is this underrated player that not many people know about. But a lot of their players are just kind of dogging it most nights. And I feel like Toffoli, you can kind of see it. He's not back-checking very hard. But if you get him on a playoff team and he gets some power play time, he gets some top six minutes, this guy can put the puck in the net. And there are a lot of teams who are looking for exactly that.
0: Like, I think if Montreal finds themselves really in the thick of the playoffs, um, sort of on the cusp of making it, Tyler Toffoli is is a guy that could benefit from playing with somebody like Nick Suzuki.
1: Um, I know the Penguins after the Jake Gensel injury They're thinking, okay, we yeah, need some goals here Yeah, that makes here. a ton
0: of sense
1: Toffoli on the Penguins Because
0: man. Toffoli is oh. a complimentary player So you have to think, you already have play drivers Who can um, complement like, that Get him the puck Again, <laughs> I can't believe I'm bringing them up again Edmonton Could you imagine him and McDavid playing together?
1: I feel like we say this with everyone. It's like, hey, if McDavid's doing this with Zach Cassian, imagine what he could do with, with yeah. insert literally any middle But there's six a winger because-
0: <laughs> who's available and Edmonton is in, like second in their division as of the recording of this podcast.
1: You don't think he would be an upgrade over Every legitimately time any winger, winger that Edmonton has? <laughs> Anytime a half-decent winger is either traded or picked up on waivers, I just I go and I look at Edmonton's lineup— and I'm you're like, thinking, why? Yeah, this guy this guy would fit in their top six because you don't have any wingers. Um, another team, New York Islanders, they need goals. They're excellent defensively. They're well coached. But Matt Barzell is really their only kind of game breaker up front. I feel like if you can get them some more dynamic talent, yeah. maybe that helps offset some of those concerns and you become a more well-rounded team. I think Toffoli would be a perfect name for them.
0: Well, yeah, and you think they just signed what is it, Anders Lee and Brock Nelson to those contracts? I can't remember.
1: They're the same player. I can't tell them apart.
0: <laughs> they are basically the same player. Has anyone seen them in the same room at the same time? Um, and yeah, if you add a player like fully give Barzell that kind of weapon, um, maybe it's someone who augments that and takes some attention away from Barzell and, and allows him to do his thing a little bit more too, because that's the thing. There's a trickle-down effect. So if you just have one guy on a line, let's say McDavid, for example, and... That's all the D have to cover. Will they focus on him and then like, sure, I'll let Zach Cassian shoot. But then you put Dreisaitl up there, let's say, when they play together. And it's like, oh, now I actually have to play this fairly because if the puck gets to Drysidle, he is as dangerous. And so it's one of those things where if you give Barzell a danger on one of his wings, then maybe a little bit less attention gets focused on him and and defensemen aren't as myopic.
1: I think that's a really good way of putting it, because I think you look at Barzell's first year in the league... That was my favorite year watching him because he didn't have to face as many of the tough minutes. You know, he got secondary matchups because everyone was terrified of Tavares. He had so much more open space that first year. And my God, was he fun to watch. Now, teams are putting their best players, their defensive matchups. They're really honing in on him. And when he has the puck, everyone's kind of collapsing on him. It's like there was that one McDavid shift where I think it was a one on five and none of his line mates were near him because everyone was just worried about McDavid. With Barzell, it's kind of that same impact. You can see the gravity of the defense just bending towards him and you just need some players to get open for him so that he can pass them at open space and then they can shoot but they don't have the shooters who can beat NHL goalies you bring in a tafoli. you bring in a, even a Galchenyuk I, I could see making sense for them because they need that kind of talent. But then again, I can't see Barry Trotz being too thrilled with Galchenyuk's defensive effort. So Fair. maybe you're looking for more of a 200-foot winger in that in that respect.
0: All Well, that's a trade deadline. And I think we'll move into our Kovalev
1: shift, brought to you by Major League Sox. My favorite socks Company formerly known as Bab Sox. They've pivoted, much like the Maple Leafs, gone in a different direction. We need some Sheldon Keefe socks. How great would those be?
0: Yes, Keefe Sox. That would be... I'd be Keefe's down for briefs. those. Oh my god, no, no, we're not doing that. Um, All right, so a couple of nights ago, um, the Leafs had a four on three power play in overtime and stuck four forwards out there. And this kind of got kicked around on Twitter, and at York, we've actually tried it. Um, Either the four forwards on the four on three power play, or the five forwards on the five on four or five on three power play. Let's break that down and talk about it. Because originally there was the three forwards, two defensemen, and then we moved almost universally to four forwards, one defenseman. When are we going to see all forwards out there?
1: I know Florida tried it last year. They tried Barkov on the point because I think they trusted him most defensively. And then I can't remember the other forwards they had out there. It would have to be Huberto, Hoffman. I'd imagine Trocek was the other forward they had out there, and Dadanov. They tried all five on the ice. It didn't work as well. They preferred having Yandel back there. I've talked to a few coaches about this. The concern with not having a defenseman out there is that how many forwards know how to walk the line and how many forwards are comfortable with the puck on their stick, keeping a pucking at the blue line, and creating space for themselves when they have a four-checker coming in right on them compared to a high-level offensive defenseman who's been doing that his whole life. That That's the concern, but... With four forwards, it's the same concern on a four-on-three, yet we see coaches a bit more comfortable doing that. Maybe it's because of the amount of extra space that's out there. You're not as worried about walking the line because the puck's going to be in in more open space. You don't have to worry about that as much, but that's always been the, the pushback that I've heard. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of innovation and trying new things in the NHL because we typically don't get to see that. And I'm glad that the Leafs scored right away when they had Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares on the ice. Just put your four best players on the ice and see what happens. I'd like to see power plays do that more often with five forwards, but I know that the concern is that you're going to give up a lot more goals. Is it going to be worth the additional goals that you score? With four forwards, it is. But with five forwards, would it be? That's always the question.
0: Yeah, I think for me, um, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily have to have five forwards out there. Put your five best players out there and tell them to stay out there for a minute and a half, at least, right? So if you happen to have one defenseman who happens to be one of your five best players, then OK, put them out there. But if you are loaded on forward, then play your best five best forwards like just play your five best players and i'm sure that they'll find a way to score because at some point hockey sense is going to take over natural instinct natural skill and they're just going to start communicating and going with the flow and they're going to create a ton of chances and it's way harder to read because now you're depending on creativity as opposed to this stringent system
1: I think another thing that comes into play is just the general mindset of a forward compared to the general mindset right. of a defenseman. Even an offensive defenseman is taught always in the back of their mind to be ready to skate back, be ready to back up. Whereas forwards, you're kind of always skating forwards. It's you know what I mean? Like all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. there are some forwards who straight up don't know how to skate backwards, not very good at it. You know what I mean? Because Which I don't understand skating.
0: because like even when I played hockey, you had to learn how to play forward. Now... I mean they threw me we had a 5 forward power play actually and they threw me back there but it was one of those things where it's like every tryout or like in skating lessons you have to learn how to skate backwards like I don't understand
1: I I was really good at it as a goalie skating backwards cuz that was so. all part of like your crease positioning but as on the ice, I wasn't quite as good at it. I, I don't know, I felt weirdly more comfortable in my goalie pads skating backwards than I did in, in shin pads. I'm a weirdo. But when it came to defensemen on the power play and forwards on the power play, I think when you look at defensemen on the power play when they're part of a two-defenseman power play unit, and let's use an example like Nashville, for example, even when it's a Ryan Ellis or a Roman Yossi out there, I find that they tend to be so used to taking shots from the outside, let's say. So you know the inner slot, from the the house, from the top of the circles down to the dots, down to the crease, it creates this kind of home plate shape. You want to generate shots either from there or a pass that goes through there and then a quick shot because the goalie's moving laterally in his crease. With defensemen, I think that there's a bad habit of shooting from the outside because it even strikes sometimes you're forced to. And on the power play, you probably should never take that shot. Yet we see Shea Weber blasting it from the blue line all the time. We see Ryan Ellis teeing up from outside that area. We see Roman Yossi letting them go from outside that area. When really, I think that's a low percentage shot. And when the other team only has four skaters on the ice and you're taking a bad shot, I think they're happy and they're glad. Okay, great. They took that shot. Now we can get the puck back. Whereas with five forwards on the ice, I feel like they're looking for those more dangerous opportunities. Even if it leads to a bit... Of uh, risky passing the offensive zone and there's a chance of things going the other way. I think it leads to more overall offense and the pros tend to outweigh the cons. That's with four forwards though. With five forwards I do think it's a bit more of a conversation but I'd like to see it more often.
0: Alrighty and that was your Major League Sox Kovalev Shift brought to you by Major League Sox. You can uh, use the code graph on the website and you'll get 15% off your purchase. So that's kind of where we stand on the whole power play personnel situation Ian we got mailbag questions friend
1: I love mailbag questions what what are some of the best ones today
0: um if you're Seattle GM so if you're Ron Francis which key players are you hoping are available for the expansion draft but you like obviously you can't use guys who obviously will be protected so i'm thinking for Vegas you were hoping to get a guy like Shay Theodore or um, Marc-Andre Fleury kind of situation. Who are you hoping is in that echelon of player that, that you can snag?
1: So I'm thinking maybe a big name on a contract that they're willing to see if you take. And I'm wondering if we see... You know how Marc-Andre Fleury was someone who went to the Vegas Golden Knights, even though he was a good player and everyone knew he was a good player, the Penguins couldn't afford his contract and they were okay with him leaving. Right. James Neal was another player who even though everyone knew he was a good player, Nashville felt, okay, money-wise, we can't afford this guy, so we're all right with letting him pass. Are there any teams who are in some severe cap trouble who even though there's a good player on their team, you might have to let that player walk? I'm thinking... Tampa Bay seems to get out of any kind of cap trouble they ever end up in. But I'm wondering if someone like a Yanni Gord becomes expendable. You know, like a really good player who could play in a top six. He's making $5.2 million for the next five or six years. One, two, three, four, five. After this year, it'll be five years. I could see a player like that joining their team and having a big impact. But again, it'll be interesting to see which players teams end up protecting.
0: Yeah, like I could see... um... Maybe a Thatcher Demko, so you've got a young goaltender. Let's say, um, you know, this is one of those things where you got to look at teams why they're deep up front or, or deep on the back end. Uh, maybe somebody like an Alex Kerfoot is an, is available. Um, but to me, like I think the most availability will be at goaltenders. So like let's say Holtby resigns in Washington, they're gonna have to pick between Holtby and Samsonov.
1: Unless okay, they can make... I be real quick here? I think they're going to pick Samsonov. I don't think they're going to re-sign Holtby.
0: I would hope. I mean, honestly, like that that kid is a really good goaltender. But let's just say, like, I think there's going to be some really good goaltenders available.
1: Um, I mean, you brought up the Thatcher Demko idea. Again, if I'm Vancouver, as much as good as Markstrom's been, Th- Thatcher Demko's 24, and he looks like he can be the starter of the future. So if they're picking Markstrom to be the goalie today, they might they're probably going to end up losing Demko in the expansion draft.
0: Right. And so that's one of those things where I think there's going to be some really good goaltending available. Um, and you, ha- you can't forget that there's, I think it's like three years of pro. So if you're playing in the AHL, that counts. So you're going to have to protect some of those defensemen, which could maybe leave some of your NHL defensemen, uh, unprotected because you're protecting your prospects who are seasoning in the AHL or just kind of stepping in.
1: Um, who do you want as the coach of the Seattle Kraken? Um, Gerard Gallant. How perfect would that be? That would be pretty sweet. Like, hey, just do what you did with uh, the Golden Just do Nets. it again.
0: Um, How about yeah.
1: Mike Babcock? I was going to say he, or Mike when Babcock. When he gets rehabilitated and he and he comes back and he says all the right things
0: yeah like i could see him having some success um
1: yeah i would say probably those two i mean i know laviolette's name gets thrown in there Mm. i'd like the idea of maybe bringing in someone new like ricard
0: gronberg from sweden that could be fun i feel like that would be a ton of fun
1: but I feel like they're going to bring in a name oh, because yeah. it'll have value. And we saw what Gerard Gallant was able to do, bring a bunch of people together, maybe bring in this coach who was also outed from his last team and there will be this weird communal effect. I don't know. It's it's tough. No one's going to replicate what the Vegas Golden Knights did because that was absolutely ridiculous. And I think there's going to be a lot of unfair pressure on Seattle to make the playoffs in their first season when it might not be the, the fairest of expectations. But we'll have to wait and see the roster that they have.
0: All right, a couple stat questions. So what's one traditional stat, so things like goals, assists, points, plus, minus, like that kind of stat, that you would replace with an advanced stat, and which advanced stat would it be in media and broadcasts? So if you could ban a stat from the broadcast, what would it be? And I feel like we should take away plus, minus, because we're both going to say that.
1: I was going to say, how about we get rid of plus, minus, or my favorite combined plus, minus? Oh my Uh, God, that (laughs) can't be. That. that can't be a thing still one of my favorite stats like that it worked. can't be a thing I mean honestly I'd just get rid of plus minus and maybe change it to shot or scoring chance plus minus at even strength scoring I think that's chance something...
0: differential I would be yeah. down for that
1: because that's something that actually matters and that's something even coaches care about because everyone cares about the idea of scoring chances you're giving up a lot of shots from this good area on the ice is it happening with consistency That's a bad thing. Are you consistently tilting the ice in your team's favor where you're getting more of these good opportunities than the ones you're giving up? That's something that people care about. And if you could quickly point to it, then I think we'd be getting into a lot better discussions than whether or not Ron Hainsey leading the league in plus minus is (laughs) relevant. No, no, that's because the shooting percentage and save percentage are stupid and it's not repeatable. Okay, so
0: for me... I wouldn't say get rid of it, but please stop talking about it so often. Face-off percentage. First of all, it's incorrect half the time. Like I said before, I have seen these people take face-off stats. And so I would just, we don't need to talk about it ad nauseum. I don't need to hear about it 17 times per broadcast. Um, It's a little annoying. You and I talk about it a bunch whenever it gets brought up. Um, One thing I would like to see talked about potentially a little more is who actually gets possession of the puck. So who has the most possession, whether it's like team possession or individual player possession? Because
1: I think... Puck with like time with a puck on their stick?
0: Yeah. And whether it's like possession face-off wins, that I could maybe stomach a little bit more. So who's actually getting possession off of draws? Um, But I would love to see maybe a stat of like, okay, Jack Eichels had the puck on his stick for a minute and 10 seconds through two periods. Like, that's a lot. Um, I'd love to see that talked about because then you can really tell who's impacting the game because you can say, oh, this player has been really good. And then you look and his puck touches and his time with the puck have been like four seconds. And you're like, oh, maybe he isn't impacting the game the way I thought he was. So I feel like that's something that you could use to see, okay, who's really having an impact on the game.
1: I'd also just throw in real quick odd man rushes if we had that as just a quick clickable stat to look at teams or even players. I think it's something that's really missing right now in the public data. And we can say, okay, this team has more shots. They have more chances. But how many of those came off of the rush versus off the cycle? Because uh, a, a shot off the rush on a two on one is going to go in a lot more often than a five on five shot off the cycle where there are a lot of bodies and traffic. I don't know. It's, it's just something that's always bothered me. I feel like we're missing a lot of crucial information. We don't have it. And that's more in the NHL than anything. All right. Last question. Um,
0: disclaimer. Ian and I would never, have never, will never do this, but we're going to answer this question. But. If you could only use one stat to evaluate a player, which stat would it be?
1: Combined minus. <laughs> <Easy>. Next question.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You're gonna have report cards, and it, they're literally all his combined plus minus on Tuesdays in February is this. I'm like, I yeah. don't care. Or the split home and away power play stats or penalty kill stats, as if that's somehow
1: relevant. So here's the thing: you should never use one stat to evaluate a player. Really? But a Are lot you of should? us do. A lot of us do. A lot of us just use points when we're looking at forwards, and that's how and the Norris Trophy, Trophy voting, voting. It's how the Selkie voting <laughs> works. For Christ's <laughs> it's, sakes, it's so frustrating but if i'm gonna use one stat if i'm gonna use a combined stat i'd like to use something that tries to combine everything so for example dom lucision's game score i was gonna say game
0: score or war or the rapm that the twins have something like that that encompasses multiple stats as opposed to just like points
1: the reason I like game score is because it uses points, which is what most people are familiar with, but it also throws in all these other things, like penalty differential, and shot differential, and even throws in face-offs. In and there. expected and... goals. Oh, everybody loves their expected goals, baby. Or real goals.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, Whichever one you want to use. Even the
1: unexpected goals. <laughs>
0: things that bounced off a stanchion and went into your own net.
1: Yeah, but... I'd use something like a game score, something that looks at everything, tries to combine it into one number. Is it perfect? No, but it's a starting point. If we have an 82 game sample on a player, that gives us a pretty good idea. Now let's look into some other things. Who did he play with? You know, what was the competition? How many minutes was he getting a night? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I would would agree. You've got to go with an all-encompassing stat. And let's uh, all remember that you should never just use one stat to evaluate a player that at very best is lazy.
1: Also, points don't take defense into account. They don't take <laughs> line mates into account. That's like uh, using
0: wins to evaluate a goaltender.
1: Stop. I just, we, we use points way too much when evaluating players, and they matter. They do matter, especially for forwards, but they're not the only thing that matters. Are you sure and about that? Sometimes... What about toughness? Can we measure that? It's like if I tried to tell someone that Shane Goss' despair was better than prime Drew Doughty, they'd call me and say, I'm like, no, but look, he had more points. And it's just like, obviously, there's more to the game than points so (laughs) are you sure or prime zadano chari never put up that many points but his impact on the game was ridiculous
0: right you could when he was on the ice the odds that you were scoring were significantly less
1: yeah pavel datsuk never led the league in points but i'd make an argument that he was the best player in the league for a little bit there
0: he i am not afraid to admit that i literally as a child used to sit in front of my computer and watch hours of pavel datsuk on youtube
1: I think that's how you became a good hockey player. Just because he's perfect. Like in that, his his puck control, the plays that he made, his ability to get the puck back. I think his his possession numbers were like north of 70% in his prime. I remember this this
0: hockey coach that I had, the one that uh, really had an impact on me as a hockey player. He's like, okay, who's your favorite hockey player? I go, okay, Patrick Kane. And he goes, okay, who's the player you want to be like? Pavel Datsuk. And he was like, okay, that's probably the best answer I could have asked
1: for. I was going to say, with the puck on your stick, you'd like to be Patrick Kane. With the puck not on your stick, you'd like to be someone no, else. No, no, no. <laughs> I would like to be
0: Pavel Datsuk 100% of the time. That guy's hands, oh my goodness. It's just so entertaining.
1: This could easily turn into the Pavel Datsuk and Nick Lidstrom podcast, so we'll just get out of here before, you know, more YouTube comments come up about us watching our favorite players at the best. Hey, you know I what? Mean,
0: They're not Leafs, so that's too bad. <laughs>
1: At least we're not talking about Travis Dermott for 10 plus minutes here When We all know I we, could
0: That was the first time He was brought up on this podcast
1: We all know I love talking about oh, Leafs Oh, we, we know We need to stop that I had a my, my buddy criticized me He's like, hey I love your podcast You and Rachel do a great job Like talking about on the NHL Stop bringing up Leafs all the time Bring up literally anyone else When you're talking about examples of stuff like, Now we're going to talk
0: about it. Pavel Datsuk being a god Alright yeah. Well, that'll be it for this week Um Yeah, you know, hopefully no one breaks into my car this upcoming week. That would be nice. Yeah, lock
1: your steering wheels, everyone. Make a note to yourself. (laughs) And don't
0: drive at York,
1: apparently. Seriously. So, I'm looking forward to the trade deadline because it's going to be so bad. I'm thinking, okay, who is the best player gets traded here? Does someone come out of left field? I mean, does Andre Kasha get traded? Because I've seen his name out there for some reason. I'm thinking, why? This guy's good. But, again, crazy things Happened in the past Sometimes we get llamas On TSN It's a good time So
0: You never know What you're (laughs) gonna get I forgot
1: about those (laughs) Yeah James Duffy's Gonna have his work Cut out for him this year I feel really bad For that man
0: Oh my god Everyone If you're doing Trade deadline Just god bless you I'm sorry in advance Alrighty I'm gonna go back To uh Doing my puzzle Because that's What I do Okay Frederick
1: Gauthier Just to throw in Another lease right Listen I have done
0: 2,000 piece puzzles In the
1: last two weeks I think that's more concerning than the car (laughs) (laughs) story.
0: All righty. We'll get out of here. We'll be back next week.
1: Sounds good. All right. Take care, everybody, and try not to get your steering wheel stolen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Staff & Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.